Right, restorative justice, kind of the code. Yeah, I know Dominic well, actually. He and I have mutual friends, and we spend a lot of time together. Oh, really, Ben? Hello, and welcome, everyone. This is Molly Rowan Leach, your host for Justice Week, a segment of the Summer of Peace Summit. Today's call is called Growing Up Spiritually and features an incredible guest speaker that I'm very much looking forward to introducing in just a moment. That's Kenny Johnson of This Sacred Space, and he's the author of The Last Hustle. Before we go into that introduction, though, I'd just like to share with you a couple opportunities that you have to engage more deeply with the Summer of Peace Summit. Um, the recordings from all of our calls this week, which have been profound, uh, starting on Monday with Gandhi's grandson, Arun, um, and then Tuesday, Dominic Barter of Restorative Circles, and yesterday, who a powerful session with Libby Hoffman and John Cocker of Famble Talk. These sessions are available um, for 48 hours after the, each of them. And then you can also upgrade uh, to take advantage of all the sessions throughout all of the segments of Summer of Peace. Summer of Peace Summit is going through September 21st, International Day of Peace, and I just want to give a quick thanks and, and deep acknowledgement to Ben Hart, Philip Helmick, Jeffrey Kine, and all of the people at the Shift Network that have made this uh, webcast and telecouncil free to a global audience. So thank you, everyone. Um, just a few quick notes, too, about today's hour together. This is a telecouncil circle, so we do have webcast question availability. Please submit those if you're webcasting in at any time. Um, we'll try and get to those when we have a moment. And also, I'd like to invite uh, those of you that are dialing or Skyping in to press two, star 2 on your keypad when I prompt you at about a quarter of the hour, and we'll field some questions and dialogue with Kenny. So without further ado, of course, I really just um, am continuously honored to be speaking along with you all with these people that have been our guest speakers this week. And whew, Kenny Johnson is uh, an incredible being. Uh, he, is, um, he spent over 20 years in prison, and he's been out of prison since 1997. Today we're going to be talking uh, along the theme of growing up spiritually and weaving some of the important themes from this week of justice with the inner essence of what that really means and what that, that uh, discovery was to him. Kenny is a spiritual teacher and consultant to families and to those who have been out of prison and may be going to jail. His book, The Last Hustle, which I've read and I highly recommend, chronicles his years as a criminal and how he was transformed while incarcerated. Kenny has one passion, and that is sharing the message that God's grace is here now. Kenny's spiritual awareness and other spiritual teachers' insights have been published in the book called The Awakening West by John Lumiere Wins and Lynn Marie Lumiere. Kenny resides in California and visits inmates at the San Quentin Prison and around the world. He's founded This Sacred Space, which is thissacredspace.org, a nonprofit corporation dedicated to sharing the timeless message that real freedom resides within each one of us. He says, if there is anything worth serving, it's this love. If there is anything worth being, it's this love. If there is anything worth talking about, it's this love. If there is anything of real value, it's this love. So I just want to honor you, Kenny, and thank you for being with us today and invite you to just open us up, perhaps with, uh, on that note, um, your experience of justice and growing up spiritually. Welcome, Kenny. Uh, thank you so much, and good afternoon, morning, night, whomever online here. I uh, appreciate the introduction, and I, I want to say this. 
when I wrote the book, The Last Hustle, I had no idea that it was actually a love story. It's about a young man who was angry, who was afraid, hurt, wounded, confused about love. And it wasn't until I, when I met my uh, friend, mentor, guy, spiritual teacher, Gandhiji, in federal prison that I was able to experience this love that is always present. And I experienced by looking at another woman's eyes. I experienced by looking at the stars in the heaven that fateful night in September 1994. And uh, I have been in love since then in so many different ways. There's always an opportunity to be in love. Just today I uh, got off one job and I was driving my car, coming to see to my other job. And I had to stop and then say, what's the most important thing? Is it having two or three jobs, not wanting to go to work? What's really important right here? And I had to stop and just be really quiet inside myself and to just experience this love because all I wanted to do was to be out of prison and to experience what so many of you have experienced and are experiencing in your lives, There's the love of family, the love of job, the love of exercise, the love of eating, just the love of life, the love of going to the church, to the mosque. And so I wanted to be free just to experience the love of life. You know, this love doesn't have to be extremely spiritual or holy or pious or sanctimonious. It can just be a person loving their dog, a person, a woman having a new baby and in love with this newborn creation that she brought into the world, a man in love with his job as a tax accountant. Just this love comes in so many ways, and I am grateful today to be able to celebrate this love with you all. And with that, I will take a breath. Oh, thank you, Kenny. And I just would like to say, too, um, <laughs> that um, for those of you who would like to check out more about the book, um, I wanted to mention the book's website, which is this sacred, or excuse me, thelasthustle.com, and then Kenny's organization, This Sacred Space, which is thissacredspace.org. And, right. and so, Kenny, could, could you share a little bit, um, maybe a story from your experience in prison that yes. uh, is along the theme that, that we just opened up with, please? For uh, justice is concerned or love is concerned or peace is concerned, um, people were drawn to you. Um, when you first, I remember reading in your book that um, there was a, a draw that that began to happen um, from other inmates, like within the system. Yes, yes, they yes, were drawn yes, to yes, you, yes, and they yes. they came to you for counsel and advice. Yes, um, yes. Where at first you were kind of on your own journey of discovering something. Can you can you share with us what you might have discovered and why you think? Uh, at some point along the path in in the prison, uh, why inmates began to come to you and, and seek out something that you had discovered? It's the same, it's the same thing out here. Uh, I, I look at out here as a, just a bigger uh, uh, system in prison as a, as a micro system, a microcosm uh, of this system, or I say micro system in a lot of ways. And when people, uh, teachers out here uh, have an awakening experience or become enlightened or awake, uh, put on events like the Dalai Lama, people block to see the Dalai Lama, people block to see a preacher, a minister, or a nun, because that person has experienced something, some degree of awakening or enlightenment or wisdom, and everybody's trying to get a taste of that, a flavor of that, or guidance. And if the same thing applies in the prison, 
there are men that are suffering, they know that they're suffering, and they see one of their own who has had a shift, who's at peace, who's smiling, who's uh, walking a different walk, and they are so used to seeing anger and hatred and rage, so when they see someone that's smiling and that's at peace, they're able to to be able to actually follow that person, uh, seek that person out. And that's what they did for me. The men sought me out in order to experience some degree of awakening. They were very hungry and very desperate. And that went on the whole time I was in the prison. And it was always the ones who were suffering the most. Kenny, do you think that people who um, are called perpetrators, um, I'd like to hear more about your uh, um, idea around this uh, this thought that of a perpetrator. And one of the common themes this week that we've had during Justice Week has been um, kind of unpacking that uh, a perpetrator is also a victim and um, some of the things that uh, the qualities and, and the needs that not not only apply to perpetrators, perhaps, but to us all, um, in really balancing the equation, um, whether we've we've been in prison or not, seems mm-hmm. to be that we we need we need to be heard. Yes. Um, yes. So yes. can can you speak a little bit about that? Was that a part of, of while you were in prison? Did you find that that um, the men had stories that had never been they never felt they could tell? And and was that part of their healing? Yeah. Oh my God. It was um, even now when I go into San Quentin or in a jail, there's people, men and women who are who are anxious to. I the name of my organization is this sacred space, and the whole focus of me creating the sacred uh, that come up with that name was to create a sacred space in prison for men and women to come and sit and feel safe and talking about things they normally can't talk about because some of the crimes that they commit are so heinous and so uh, repulsive that they can't even uh, talk about it. So they're ostracized and they're beat up and they're raped and they're abused because of the crime they committed. But in this sacred space, they can come there and say, I'm here for this. I now, this is coming up for me, and I'm afraid, I'm terrified, because people want to be able to realize, to be able to go somewhere and, and, and speak what's on their heart, unburden themselves. That's why we have psychoanalysts, uh, psychotherapists, psychologists. And so I created the sacred space so men and women could come and just unburden themselves and, and, mm. and, and, and speak about whatever and leave it in that circle and don't pick it back up. And know that no one in that circle is going to um, divulge or share the information that was exp- that was shared in that group. And the same thing applies out here. The same thing I I I'm, I was with a couple just the other day, and I was sitting down talking to them, and they shared with me some very intimate information about their lives. And there was we created a sacred circle, a sacred space for them to say or feel whatever they want to say and feel. And so that's always happening, and I'm extremely grateful that I'm able to uh, be able to uh, be a catalyst in people um, unburdening unburden- themselves. Mm. We Do you always think that it's... Oh, don't, let, don't let me stop you, dear. Uh, you, you keep going. Uh, I just... Uh, I, people always need... You know, there's a song, Lean On Me. You know, you know, people always want to find somebody to lean on just lean for a moment me, because, yeah. because life is so hard. Life is so intense. I mean, uh, that's why there's so many of us, so we can support each other, we can feed each other, so we can nourish each other, so we can care for each other, so we can uh, assist each other along the way. And that's what mm-hmm. I have dedicated my life to, is helping people, whether I'm in prison, out of prison, walking down the street, on my job, wherever the case. Today, this morning, this morning, just this morning at my job, I got a, a night shift job where I work with those who are detoxing of drugs and alcohol. Uh, a man, he just needed some place to stay overnight, so we allowed him to stay at our facility tonight. 
that uh, last night. And so he, it was time to discharge him. And he, I said, how are you doing? What are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going back out in the street. He's homeless, of course. And I said, well, how is it out there, you know, being homeless? And he said, well, you know, when I was down in a certain city, you know, these young kids came up and beat me up. And they, you know, and they called me names because I was of a different ethnic, ethnicity, different race. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, Molly, when I heard, you know, what he said, you know, I wanted to start crying. My heart broke open because, you know, I, I you know, you know, he says, I was just trying to sleep on the beach. They came to beat me up because I was a different color. And it was young kids, and I and I said, this young kid was angry. They were full of rage, you know, and this, this guy here, he's, you know, he's hurting, he's wounded, he doesn't have anybody to love him, and he's, he's bouncing around. And and it, just, it, it really hurt to hear that story. And I, um, I my heart, you know, went after him and I wrapped him in my love as, as much as I possibly could because here is a 60-some-year-old man uh, who's homeless and who's going to be homeless the rest of his life, might die on the streets. Hmm. And and he just wanted to be in out the streets for a night, so we gave him shelter. And I just listened to him, go on and have five minutes to listen to him before he was going back out and buy some more alcohol and start all over again. Mm-hmm. And so all I could do was listen and just listen with my heart. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. mm, mm. And now, so I Kenny, you, that, I got to stop you right there because that's a biggie right there. Mm, and forgive right. me for interrupting your stream, no but problem. listening, no listening with your heart, um, that's right. another one we've unpacked this week, um, right. true listening. There's a lot of people doing some profound work in our country around mm. compassionate listening and really, uh, you know, of course, nonviolent communication is also deep listening, listening and and reflecting back and making sure um, that we're really transmitting together in the nonverbal realm as well as the verbal. And these seem to be aspects of how we can be preventative um, uh, of of people uh, straying from their essence and um, feeling that they have to act out and then end up in a very corrupt prison system. Um, and, and, and we were talking yesterday, uh, Philip and I co-hosted Libby Hoffman and John Cocker from Fambo Talk, uh, from Sierra Leone. And one of the things that was really striking about that call was, um, their, their process of coming together around a bonfire. And, and, uh, as you're saying, creating that sacred space where people can divulge the truth and share right. that truth, knowing right. that they're not going to be convicted and um, monstracized and that they, right. they will be held in that process. It sounds like you're doing some profound work uh, in providing that both on the front end, so to speak, right? Uh, is that true with this yeah, yeah, space yeah, you're doing? Yes, yeah, 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 So you're yeah. inclusive every of Saturday, people. Every, every Saturday I'm going, I'm, I'm going into prison. Every Saturday it's, like, it's my job. I go in and I sit and listen not knowing what's going to come up. Right. And people who have never um, been so-called offenders or prisoners can also come to these types of meetings. Um, you, you have other meetings outside of, uh, of, uh, of going into the prisons. Is that true with your program? Yeah, yeah I, have, I have public meetings, and I also offer individual Skype sessions for people you know, who want to work with me one-on-one. I find it very productive and uh, very uh, 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 powerful to work one-on-one because people working one-on-one can go a lot deeper because there's, a, a, I say again, a sacred space created. Because a lot of times people don't want to talk in front of other people, but they do want to talk. So I offer group sessions, I offer individual sessions, and I uh, um, um, do book signings and book talks and go to visit people in the other jails Mm. I'm just, I don't, you also I don't, have quite a bit. I just was going to mention to uh, to everyone today that you have uh, an incredible vision 
Um, the oh, book, yeah. of yeah. course, The Last yeah. Hustle, is uh, just a powerful, um, candid, truthful, speaking of just sharing it all. Um, right. You give yourself fully in this book. You you speak. Uh, you don't hold back on the truth of your situation, of your crimes, right. of your addictions, you know, of the whole gamut. And it's powerful mm. because it feels liberating just to read that you are able to, you know, what what you're able to share and not hold back. And mm. what I'd like to share with people today is that, that you have a vision of creating this into a film, which right. uh, I just I just hope hope that that happens sooner than later. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) And it can be transformative because, again, in our stories, um, we we help transform each other, and we've lost that here in the United States, it seems like. Right, right, right. Yeah, I I never, people always say, Kenny, this this is a great story. It should be a movie. And just, I guess about three weeks ago, I just started having a strong, strong, overpowering urge or realization or insight that this can be a great movie, it can be a great uh, way of touching a lot of young men and women's lives through the silver screen because so many people go to the movies. And also, uh, I saw in my book there was a point, a turning point where I was in federal prison. I was doing 40 years and I was thinking about committing suicide and and I was very depressed. And, and at that time, an old wise convict came into my life by the name of Pops. It was amazing. And he just started sharing his wisdom with me. And I said, how would that look to have that image of a young convict at his dark place that an old wise convict, a wisdom in a form like a Yoda in Star Wars, comes and, and shares, you know, the meaning of life with this young person and tells this young person his future, his true purpose in life, and turns the person's life around by giving it hope. And so that's where I'm, uh, I, why I'm excited because I realize the book is also an opportunity to be a great teaching tool on a larger scale. Hmm. Absolutely. And, and one of the things I really appreciate about um, some of the messages here in the book and the, and, uh, and the overlying theme of the, of the book and your life is your appreciation um, and, and depth of realization that prison was your teacher um, and that that that, that was uh, that that freedom is not about where you are physically. Um, you can be behind bars and be free, right? Oh yeah! Oh yes! 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 As, you know, for, for, prison was not designed originally for punishment. It was designed to make men and women penitent. That's why they call it penitentiary. They wanted people to become penitent and transform their lives through meditation and prayer. It was sort of like a monastery. And so, just through the grace of God, I used prison as for its true purposes, intent. As, as Christ went to the cave, Prophet Muhammad went to the cave, all the wise men, they went to the cave, and prison, those cells are like caves. And they went and they read and they studied and they prayed and they meditated and they did their austerities. Well, I did the same thing. I did, the, I did my yoga, I did my meditation, I did my me, I read, reading. I did my, in this cave. And, 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 and through this turning inward, I was able to experience know the beauty of prison and not mm. the horror of prison and then I'm mm-hmm. able to show show the beauty of prison to other men and women and to force them toward the true prison. Now the true prison was my mind. The true prison was my thinking. And the and that's where I was able to really turn my life around because I kept saying myself, I want to be free, I want to be free, I want to be free, and just repeating that mantra to myself brought freedom into my life. Mm. So I changed my and my life changed. And Kenny, that being said, there's another part of this conversation that I really like to unfold with you, um, and that has to do with the fact that we know right now here in the United States 
We're under 5% of the world's population, so we're a slim yeah. representative of the entire global population. However, we incarcerate over a quarter of the world's prisoners, which is probably a low estimate. There's two companies called the Geo Group and the the Correctional Corporation of America. They're making hand over fist on privatizing state prisons. They're offering uh, cash money for for keeping the beds full, and that's a fact that can be checked at the Huffington Post. So, um, So given that we're in that penitent, punitive paradigm still here in the United mm-hmm. States. Right. Given that people are profiting hand over fist and right. it's really not about uh, taking, uh, helping to empower the individual back to right. their essence, right. back right. to their core right. light. What, right. How right. do we go from where we are now um, with this system, which I think we're already moving in a direction that's really powerful, but right. how, how do you see it? Where, where are we going and what are that's the steps I, to get us from punitive Molly, to restorative? That's why I want the movie to be done because inmates watch movies, they watch TV, DVD, they watch that and they need to, they need to, that message needs to be piped into them in mass, in group, that they can change, they can turn their lives around and be able to put the message in the movie. Like I, I saw Batman movie. I mean, I see Spider-Man. I see all these movies, and they all have a message. And if we can just put that message, it can touch so many minds in such a larger degree as we do in the shift network. What do we do with the shift network? We pipe this message around the world. The same thing right. needs to apply for the, for a, a shifting consciousness in mass, in group, in a large scale. Mm-hmm. And, how we and on the individual and community level, on the outside too. That's, I know that a right. lot of a lot of people who top out on their sentences are left on the curb. You know, that's we're right. we're not right. we're not providing. It's our responsibility, is it not, as individuals and communities? And we're yearning for it too, even that's if right. we have never even set our a foot in a prison to connect and to um, tell stories and and to to be in a place of, of, of wholeness with each other. And I want to say this. I want to say this. People say, okay, now you stand, uh, you stressing, what about jobs? What about uh, uh, therapy? What about uh, religion? What about uh, 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 psychotherapy for the people of mental uh, health programs for uh, right. most of these people? Who are, well, once the person can have a shift and realize that they're not the body, they're not a convict, they're not a white man, they're not a black man. Once they can have the experience that they're not incarcerated, that they're not their thoughts, once they can have that awakening experience just for one second or one-tenth of a second, the aha moment, then then that, that aha moment would guide them to the mob. That aha moment would guide them to the mental health clinic. That Ahama will guide them to the right relationship and the right job. Because it's all about waking up, whether you're out here on the streets or you're in prison. As they, every knee shall bow and every knee shall confess, Lord, Lord, Lord. So that we all have to confess that we are one with everything. We all have to have the experience that we are one spirit, one truth. No matter what, having that experience, then guides you, the inner, that inner experience guides you to all the things you need, the individual needs to become more and more established in that awakening experience. Mm-hmm. That's why I stress it, because having that awakening experience takes care of everything else that we can't take care of, that we don't know what that person needs, but that inner guy knows what that person needs, but the person got to be able to listen to that voice that's whispering to it. Well, I just want to pause here and on that note, woof, um, and just thank everybody for being here. We're talking with Kenny Johnson, uh, author of The Last Hustle, and founder of the program, This Sacred Space. You can find out more about The Last Hustle at uh, thelasthustle.com and more about the organization and all the great service work that Kenny offers through him at thissacredspace.org. 
And I just want to also uh, welcome you to Upgrade for the Whole Summer of Peace telecouncil series, which started earlier this summer in June. And Kenny, of course, was one of the, the welcoming opening speakers for the Summer of Peace. Thank you for doing that, Kenny, and mm-hmm. being present for that. Um, and that uh, each of these recordings is available for 48 hours after each session. So um, we're going to be going here into question and answer time in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, for those of you live calling in, um, you can press star 2 on your keypad if you have a question for Kenny and would like to, to, to engage in the circle. And also just a reminder that those of you webcasting in can do the same. Um, so, so Kenny, I'd just like to, to go back around to a, a kind of a 50-foot level question, micro question about justice and mm-hmm. spirituality. Can you speak mm-hmm. to how those two relate, please? How do justice and spirituality relate specifically? Well, well for me, I'm, I'm going to say when I was, uh, I was, I was, so I was I, I had I had got sentenced to forty years right back check in prison. And so I felt totally uh unjustified that this was this 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 is this was uncalled for, this was this was too much time. And I ended up doing the whole ten years and got out and went back and did another four years before I finally woke up and I realized that I I felt that the sentence was unjust or uh, unjust for me because I that uh, I deserved that much time, but I really was, but uh, but I really was I really deserved that much time because I was really a bad person. So it worked out for me in the long run. But I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna switch gears. I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna switch gears. I'm gonna switch gears. Uh, let me go back here. Let me switch gears. Something's coming up. There is a there are traps set for young men. There are there are traps out there for young men to to get them caught up in a drug game and to get them in prison and use their labor, their bodies for the next fifteen or twenty years. And I uh, know like there's systems in place. To trap these ignorant people, dumb people, uh, uh, into or unconscious people into doing crimes, then getting caught up for the rest of their lives. I see so many young Latino men, Caucasian men, African American men, and women believe they can get rich selling drugs or whatever the case may be, and next thing you know, they're in prison for the rest of their lives. And this is all a setup. It's such a setup, and it's so and it's all set up by those who have the money and the power to create the laws and the and the systems to trap them. And it's, how, how do you wake young so many young people up to let them see that there's a, a trap? And so you you're walking into a pit almost consciously by going out because. The police are watching you. They are seeing you. They they're on the neighborhood. They got eyes everywhere. Uh, it's it's obvious. It's so, it's so obvious to me that the whole system is set up to trap young men and women, you know, and put them in prison for the next fifteen or twenty years. Even the laws mm-hmm. are designed to do that. So it's almost like those who have the money and the power are setting traps for those who don't have the money and power. Well, I would have to strongly agree with you there and, and just yeah. bring up uh, what comes to mind is uh, um, an organization called ALEC, A-L-E-C. Most of us here probably today are aware of ALEC, but they're they're kind of one of those organizations, uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. They're, they, I believe they try to uh, make themselves seem like one of those uh, lobbying organizations for the good of the people. <laughs> And right, um, right, when, in right, fact, they're right. doing things that uh, support um, the the laws that go into place that that uh, reciprocate that cycle of violence and make uh, a very few people very rich, um, and 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 underneath that need, uh, Kenny, um, right. under under underneath that that there, there seems to be a human habit of wanting to reciprocate a cycle of violence, right? 
Right, um, how do we right, break right, out right. of that? Given, given that we've got these solid, seemingly solid structures in place that are affirming mm-hmm. cycles of violence, how are we going to break on out of that? Um, are there some specific ideas that, I mean, it, does it just take our individual awakening or is there more to it? How do we systemically change? It takes each and every person doing their part to help. Everybody, is, we all have to be involved. Everybody's on this call, they can do their part to help. Because this thing of violence, I was a very violent person. And I realized why I was a violent, I, was, I, I didn't love myself. And I didn't see love. I wasn't shown love. And it's just like those young men who walked down the beach, saw this man laying on the beach sleeping who was harming nobody, and they started beating him up. They, they, were, they were well off. They had no business beating But there was an anger. There was a rage. There was a hurt. There was a woundedness there that their parents inflicted upon these young men and who they inflicted upon on, on a man who wasn't doing anything. So it's really each of us doing our part right where we are to change this uh consciousness or unconsciousness of violence that's running everywhere. Just how can you in your neighborhood, in your community, address violence, domestic abuse, um, to animals, to, I mean, there's so many ways, I mean, that we can address it. Even in our own, how do we think of other people? Mm. Do we think, what do we think? Are we thinking violence? Are we in our car? I mean, you know, it's just, Right. It's very, it's very close. It doesn't have and to be know, Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, thanks, Kenny. I, I just want to weave in again another powerful insight that we had this week with Arun Gandhi. He invited us to look at the, the subtle violence as well as yes. the more overt violence. Yes. Um, his grandfather, of course, Gandhi, uh, asked him, to to um, do that practice every every morning when he woke up, um, right. his grandfather asked him to make a list um, yeah. so that he would recognize you know what what violence really was that it's not just about uh, a violent act that you know so to speak but that that there's more subtle elements to to violence and how they how they weave in. Um, cleverly, uh, you know, not so cleverly, I guess. That's maybe not the right word, but um, into our lives without us even knowing it. And, and, and Kenny, I have a, uh, someone from the webcast that is asking okay. a pertinent question okay. to this conversation. Thank you, Linda, okay. for your question. Um, she asks, Kenny, can you speak about what it took to recognize that inner awakening to the way and the relationship needed to embrace one's destiny? Say that repeated again so I can get clear. Sure, sure. She says, Kenny, could you please speak about what it took to recognize the inner awakening to the path or the way and the relationship needed to embrace one's destiny? Well, it was, first of all, it was my, it was, Gosh, that's a good question. That's a very deep question. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much. It's like it's sort of like stump the chump. <laughs> <laughs> stump the chump. <laughs> that's great. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> um, oh my God, that's a good one. Okay, let me think about that. Linda, stump the chump. No. <laughs> um, well, I, I, let me just say, for me, it was a combination of things of reading and studying and realizing that I needed someone to guide me because I had been done doing a lot of meditation. And, I, and I, my, in my meditation, I experienced this overpowering urge that I was going to die. And I quit meditating because I didn't want to die. Not because it's just, the urge was like, if you meditate in alone, you're going to die. And so what I did, I quit meditating. I started praying for a guru or for a guide or for something to take me to the next level and just praying praying to my inner guru. Now, here we go. Oh, this is what she's asking. All right, now. Turn, then, mm, mm, mm. Thank you, Linda. Now, the chump ain't stumped no more. Now, <laughs> it's about looking within. See, Linda, 
the inner guru, the true guru, the true guide, the true teacher, the true preacher, everything is inside. It's mm. not outside. So turn all of your attention inside. And that spirit that's inside that knows all, is all, and sees all will guide you to wherever you want to go. Mm. Okay, now I'm going to go a little deeper. This is amazing. What happens, there is a, I was reading about the inner eye. We have this, we know you hear about this all-seeing eye. And you see the Christians have an emblem of the fish. And so that emblem is a really a symbolic eye that's always looking, always looking, always present, watching me and you waiting to do it to do whatever we need done, Linda. Mm, mm, mm. It's always looking. That's why they have the on the dollar bill the all-seeing eye, because it's always seen and ready to answer your prayer, whatever it may be. And I, in my country boy ignorance, was asking the all-seeing eye in prison to come and take care of me. And it saw me in my cell languishing and suffering and came and, and, and came and heard my prayer and went and found Gamaji and brought her to prison to release me from prison. So I say this, Linda, <clears throat> turn everything inward. Go to the eye. Mm, mm, mm. <clears throat> Woo, that's a good one. <clears throat> Go to the eye. Go to the eye. You don't have to know the eye. Just go to the eye. You don't have to have a, a just go to the eye. That's all I can say right now. My Lord. I'm a, mm, 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 mm. They say that the fish now, they say that the fish in the has has a can see a hundred and eighty degrees and just through his eye, it, it sees far back, it can see ultraviolet, violet rays. The fish has a strong eye. And they use that eye to represent God. So I say, turn to the eye. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. That's Ooh. beautiful, Kenny. That Ooh. is so beautiful and it really resonates with my heart too and I'm sure with with all of us gathered I mean we really we, we uh forget that we have everything within um to help us in yep well I'd love I'd love to honor um just the fact that we have a great group here gathered from all over the world and that uh it's about time for for uh opening up the lines for some questions so if you do have a question for Kenny um, and you're calling or Skyping in, do press two, star two, excuse me, star two on your keypad to activate uh, and, and just let us know that you'd like to, to do that here, and we'll get to you shortly. Um, I'd like to field another question from the webcast from Andrew. He asks, uh, while in prison, did you ever meet anyone you believe did not deserve an opportunity to reform or redeem themselves? And while out of prison... Have you ever met anyone who has no faults and is not in need of forgiveness? Uh, you know, I'm going to say this. Every human being is in need of forgiveness. They are brothers and our sisters, and we are totally interconnected. Hmm. And, and each and one are suffering. What I have found, I have talked to baby rapers. I have talked to people, men who have killed and done horrible crimes, and I can stop and look at that guy and hold that guy in my arms. I've talked to men who climbed through windows and raped 80-year-old women sleeping. I'm saying, I, I, I couldn't make sense of why I did it, but yet I, I, I could look at this guy and realize he was hurting and he didn't want to be loved, and I loved him. And what happened was, the, I was these guys started coming to me, you know, after for forgiveness, I come into the come into the rabbi to the priest and says, 
Father, I have sinned. Please forgive me. It would come to me. And so then the other convicts would come to me and say, man, why are you hanging out with those beta records? Why are you hanging out with those killers? Why are you hanging out with those people that nobody really cared for? I said, as a Christian, it is your job to love each and every one of these guys, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, what I've got to do, is to love these men as myself. Mm, 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 mm. Love each and every person as yourself, Andrew. Everybody is yourself. There's no one that is not yourself. Mm. And how do you do that? You see them with your heart. You love them with your heart, not with your mind, but with your heart. When you open your heart up, you can't do nothing but just wrap them and love them and start crying right there on the spot because you realize that's your own self. Kenny, what keeps us from forgiving? What keeps us from seeing it in the the way that you just described and from feeling it that way? What keeps us from that? Because what keeps you from that is because you don't want to feel your own pain. You don't want to feel your own woundedness. You don't want to feel your own love. Mm. 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 That's another one of the key aspects from this week uh, that we've been discussing, common thread here. Of note, and that's uh, the power of vulnerability. The power of vulnerability seems to be underlying in uh, the theme of justice, in that it once we can help each other to be vulnerable and to tell our stories, uh, it seems to alleviate um, what may be the causal factors that that lead to crime and 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 to um, you know to possibly landing in. The, the prison system. Um, and I just, I'd like to to take a moment, um, if I might, to ask you specifically a little bit more also about the victim and the perpetrator. Um, yes. There's a yes. cycle, there's a cycle that happens with each. Mm-hmm. And um, so maybe we could start by, uh, when, when you were sharing a little bit about uh, the last hustle, um, mm-hmm. specifically and the, and the stories that you share in there. I wondered, did you feel at one point that you were playing a victim role? And, and talk more like specifically about what, what does the United States do, especially um, in its paradigm of the victim? And what are you doing differently? Well, what, what, first of all, what the United States, what, what the United States is doing you know, in the in the name of politics or whatever the case may be, there's the, those with the super 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 amount of money and wealth and power and knowledge and wisdom, and and who are actually using the underclass, the lower class, to do their work and to make money off them. And that's going to keep. That's, and they see the richer is getting richer, and the middle class is getting poor, and the lower class is just dead. They say huh. if a lower class, a lower class person such as myself, who you know I was born in lower class, I was cotton picker, I, I never had a million dollars, don't know how a million dollars looked. I said, but that, my, so they say a person like myself would never ever rise out of the lower class. They say the middle class person may, may never get to the upper class, and the upper class will only get richer and richer and richer. So there's a is a class struggle that's present here. And it is it is feeding off of itself. And the more we can wake up, the more we can change the paradigm and change the dynamic of this class struggle that is in place. In nature, I think they up. call it a parasitic relationship, don't they? So, yes, are you yes, saying that yes, the victim, yes, yes. the perpetrator, needs the victim? Yes, like the right. system That's needs right. the system needs the victim and the perpetrator in order for it to be uh, existing in its cycles the way it is. Is that so what you're getting at? And we have to change that system. We who are, are, that's why we're doing a shift network. That's why we're doing a summer piece. That's why we're doing whatever we are doing so that we can change this parasitic relationship. So, so as far as as your own experience um, as a, a victim. 
Like right. in your own story, you you speak to the fact that you were playing that role pretty well for a while. Yes, I was. What, what, I was cha- well. what changed you? I, well, I was playing a role real well because I believed I was a black man. I believed I was poor. I believed I had to go out there and rob and steal. And I was doing it out of a victim mentality. I was doing it out of woundedness. I was doing it out of hurt. But once I met my teacher, Gandhi, and had the awakening that, oh, I'm not a victim anymore. I'm free. I don't have to play that game anymore. Then I was no longer subject to those laws that I had was living under earlier. Once you become free inside, you are free indeed. Hmm. And then, of course, uh, again the the perpetrator, the understanding of the perpetrator and of isolating uh, a person. Um, can you speak a little bit to some of our current world events, perhaps to the recent shootings or what's happening in Syria, or our pattern, perhaps even as a as a culture to um, isolate like one uh, evildoer and um, right, as, right, as right, a perpetrator. Right. What what what's the meaning there to you of that? Well, you know, I, I look at the politics of Obama and, and, and the uh, well, I, I, I mean, Republican, Socialist, Independent, uh, Democrat. It's all about you know. This is a, a business world. This is a this is a world of business. This is the world of corporations, and corporations, you know, they're out to do one thing, is to own, gobble up all other resources that they can. And so Syria, there's resources there, some countries that we don't know about. Uh, in Egypt, there are resources there. That's why they gobble them up. Libya, resources. That's why they gobble them up. Iraq, there are resources. That's why they gobble them This is a corporate maneuver using the military to do this. So that's why I'm saying we must wake up and realize what's going on and quit playing the game and, and not even play the politics game. Mm. What if I quit voting? So we were talking about uh, the cycles of violence quite a bit, and I just wanted to share, I, I bet you're, surely aware of the film The Interrupters um, and with our, our global circle here today um, many of you probably are already aware of the very powerful work that's very similar to the on the ground work that you're doing Kenny um, uh, up in Chicago there's a group called The Interrupters they have a film mm-hmm. called The Interrupters and it's all mm-hmm. about doing just that interrupting the cycle of violence with uh, the the very strong um, pattern and cycle in in gangs and in in the uh, right, four right, sections right. of Chicago, right, and right, right. featuring a woman named Amina Matthews and and others who ha- have actually participated in some of the the sum, summer of peace programming uh, or youth mm. rising summit, mm-hmm. and um, I love it because it's an initiative. That includes mm-hmm. people who were once right. in the system, just like yourself, right. Right. Uh, who right. were once right. gang members who had been visited mm-hmm. upon in a, uh, heinous ways in their lives, right. abused, right. you know, left out on the street for dead, mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. name it. And they come back around and now they're the ones in this, in their, in their work, um, and in this film featured, uh, featuring a story of, of, Probably having direct effect in preventing the the uh, revenge murders in this one particular case um, in Chicago. And it's just it's very powerful stuff, and there seems to be something to uh, your work because people know you've been through it, you've been there, you've been through it. You have a very powerful story that's uh, very honest and out there, and um, I, it makes me think of of. Uh, the, a story um, here close to home for me of a young man who uh, got really drunk here in my community and mm. um, could have could have killed a woman. Uh, was attacking, trying to get into her house and was uh, rabid and just had lost his 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 uh, sanity and mm. um, had uh, uh, broken the arm and the the shin bone of the man who was trying to um, you know to prevent him from breaking in 
and uh, he also later that night broke into a couple other houses um, after mm. he had he had incapacitated the person trying to to um, quell the situation. So he was sent off to the local jail here, and he got mm. you, somebody sent him your book, mm. and um, he was profoundly transformed by your book. Um, mm. This this was also somebody who in this community was known to be a very kind soul, a good soul, somebody who, you know, would be very unlikely to 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 do something as heinous as what he did that night. Mm-hmm. What 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 that book did, what the last hustle did for this young man was mm. brought him back to his truth and by mm. seeing that you were sharing yours. Mm-hmm. And so thank you so much for for doing that mm. for him. He didn't mm. go to prison, thank goodness. He, oh, but he did God. go to a place where he is, uh, he's in lockdown, but it's a, a community, um, reentry program that's providing right, him the right. time he needs right, to remember right. who he is. And he's admitted right. he had addiction problems and, uh, is addressing those. Mm. So, so thank mm. you. You're, you know, one by one, we're, we're doing this oh, together. God. Thank you so much. I need to hear that. I need to hear that. I need to hear that. Just to be reminded that you know, the purpose, our purpose is to help people no matter what. And you never know how you're going to help somebody. Just put it out there. Just That's put right. it out there. Mm-hmm. Well, we're getting close to our wrap-up time and to our mm-hmm. Making It Real segment, which we do every day at the end right. of the hour, which is just bringing it in into our own lives, uh, a practice or something that you might like to share, but I just want to remind if there's any remaining questions uh, today for Kenny, if you'd like to do it uh, live, uh, comment, questions, start to on your keypad, or I will still receive another question from the webcast if there if anybody else has one. Um, so Kenny, what, what would you like to close with today as far as uh, making it real? How do we make justice real? What justice in our own lives, whether we've been, you know, affected by the system or not? Um, a part of me wants to say we're all affected by it because we're in this together. Mm. So how do we how do we make it real? Mm. Make it real just by being silent right now. There is no formula for this. There's too many people online. We don't know what is what's called for. But as we know, all the teaching says, be silent. Be still. Let go. And I follow in that tradition, and they say, be silent. Now, this moment. And in this silence, we will know what to do. We will know what to say. Hmm. I just want to thank you with all of my heart, Kenny, for being mm. here with us today with this uh, global circle yeah. and to thank all of you that are here right in this moment, just really wanting to convey uh, this truth and to, in that silence, um, recognize all those who are in prison, whether it's a prison of their mind or their heart, yeah. uh, a prison of bars, any yeah. kind of prison that that all all beings may be free, and yeah. um, Philip Philip Helmick would like to make special thanks to you today, Kenny, for being with us and and yeah. on behalf of the Shift Network and the summit uh, yeah. ongoing through September 21st of the Summer of Peace. We're just thanking everybody today for being here and and welcoming you to join me again tomorrow. Um, we're hosting Demaria Perry from Watts, uh, from L.A. He's done incredible work with gangs down in Watts, and he is our featured youth justice advocate and uh, grassroots organizer. He's a very young man, and he's done a lot in his young life to affect change in Watts, which is one of the most um, extraordinarily violent places in the United States. And I just want to also invite you again to listen 
into the recordings of this series, uh, which are each of them are available for 48 hours after um, we close. And then if you would like to, you can upgrade to take part in the entire Summer of Peace Summit, all of the recordings. So those, those options are available to you. And um, please also, of course, contribute any way you can to Kenny's work. If, if you're interested in buying the book and don't already have it, I highly recommend it. Uh, TheLastHustle.com. And also, um, most importantly, Kenny, uh, your work with thissacredspace.org, this sacred space. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a great rest of your day. Bye.